Challenging men to be great men. Welcome to the Great Man Podcast with your host, New York Times bestselling author, Stephen Mansfield. Gentlemen, let us begin. I have the privilege of having as my guest on this Great Man Podcast, Rabbi Daniel Lappin. Let me tell you a little bit about him. Daniel Lappin was born in South Africa. He came to the United States. Uh, Of course, he's an Orthodox rabbi, as you may know. Uh, You may have seen him on Fox, CNN. You may have heard him speak at Harvard. You may have heard him speak at a wide variety of Christian events, oddly enough. (laughs) I'm sure that sounds strange to some of you. Um, He is a prolific author and has written one of my favorite books. I hope you'll get it. Thou Shall Prosper, Ten Commandments for Making Money. It's one of my favorite books on economics and personal prosperity and business advice. Really, really good. Uh, Rabbi Lappin and I have been friends for a while. He wrote a little blurb for my book on Oprah Winfrey many years ago. We've been aware of each other. We don't work closely together, but we see each other from time to time. Not long ago, we were both appearing at a Dave Ramsey event in Nashville. And uh, I'll never forget the moment uh, Rabbi Lappin spoke. And then afterwards, uh, he had spoken so powerfully that some of them began to ask questions. And a few of the African-American leaders who were in the room uh, asked him why the African-American community um, was in such trouble compared to some of the things that Rabbi Lappin had said. He said that while they have come out of slavery, they have not had the restoration of the father. And what he described so beautifully from his own heritage and from the Old Testament, as we Christians would call it, from the Torah, uh, was that the ancient Israelites came out of slavery, but as they did so, they celebrated the Passover, and that the Passover celebration, as required in Scripture, uh, mandates and contains a restoration of the Father. It's the Father, it's the man in the home who convenes the Passover meal. Uh, It's the Father who sacrifices the, the Paschal Lamb. Uh, it's the father who eats it with his staff in his hand and his clothes gird for movement and for war. There was a restoration of manhood and fatherhood, which was essential coming out of the years of slavery. I want you to know that when he said that, the African-American leaders in that room and others of us with him absolutely wept because they knew it was true. And by the way, I've you know got a degree in theology. I've studied theology, understand Passover. I had never thought of it from the standpoint of a restoration of manhood. So I've asked Rabbi Lappin to lead us into that thinking. He's going to take a while to introduce it here in this podcast, but he will eventually land uh, where I asked him to land. This is an eminent man. This is a fine man. I've been a guest in his home. Uh, This is a man we all ought to hear. And uh, uh, those of you who may not know, I'm a Christian. He's an Orthodox Jew. Uh, But that's the beauty of what we're doing here Uh, on the Great Man podcast and what Rabbi Lappin is about uh, is that we can have a man such as this come and teach us about manhood. Let's listen to Rabbi Daniel Lappin. Hello, everybody. I'm Rabbi Daniel Lappin. And uh, in addition to the many blessings that I enjoy, another one is my friendship with a wonderful writer. He is a prolific and powerful writer, and his name is Stephen Mansfield. 
Stephen Mansfield was invited to give a speech to a group of high-end executive leaders in Tennessee recently, and I had the honor of uh, speaking at exactly the same event. And so the two of us had a chance to fellowship just a little bit, and uh, he spoke on the 10 signs of a leadership crash, and I spoke about uh, what I spoke about. During the question and answer session, uh, a question came up, which I I answered in a certain way, and uh, Stephen contacted me soon thereafter, asking if I wouldn't mind sending him a uh, an audio summary of what it was that I spoke about in that, and I believe he wanted to share it with you. It revolves around the idea of how one goes about restoring a society that has just emerged from a traumatic experience. And uh, we, we see this in uh, the way the Jewish people emerged from the uh, gas chambers and concentration camps of World War II uh, at a time when, I think in 1946, any sane observer of world history would have said, "Eh, you know what, the Jews have had a pretty good run, a couple of thousand years, good for them, their story is over, and after all, that is the way uh, the world works. Nations arrive on the stage of world history, uh, they do their thing, time goes by, and eventually they fade away, departing stage left, and we never hear from them again. Uh, that's what happened to the Babylonians and the Hittites and the Jebusites and the Canaanites and hundreds and hundreds of other cultures that had achieved and enjoyed uh, prominence for a period of time. And now it is 1946. Uh, they probably would have continued on for a little bit longer, but Hitler and the Nazis took care of that. And that's it. Sorry to see them go, but that's about the end of it. Uh, It was, I think, a shock to everybody in 1948 when Israel emerged. It was also uh, many Holocaust survivors who who came through the the displaced persons camps of Europe and uh, found their way to North America, uh, becoming, in, in in many cases, becoming enormous successes, business-wise, financially, socially, um, and, and becoming wonderful citizens. Uh, that's another whole group that came out of the charnel houses of Europe. And um, obviously, uh, nations that have, or groups that have come out of slavery, have always had to deal uh, with this idea of how do you rebuild when emerging from trauma. Now, it's not hard to notice that the uh, book of Exodus contains far too much information about the entire process of the Exodus. It consumes chapter after chapter after chapter. That's a lot of ink. And I, I don't doubt for a moment that had I been writing the story of the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt, I probably would have condensed it to a few sentences. I would have said something along the lines of uh, through a sequence of uh, divine miracles, 
the good Lord rescued the Hebrews from 400 years of slavery and took them out of the land of Egypt through the desert to the promised land. And uh, for those of you (laughs) who don't have a life, those of you with too much time on your hands, in the appendix, you will find 10 chapters of information of the blow-by-blow account of how this happened. Miracle after miracle, plague after plague, all the details. If you really want it, well, it's there in the back of the book. But for the rest of you who have a life, let's carry on with the narrative and away we go. Why so much information spent on the exodus from Egypt? And the uh, the answer from ancient Jewish wisdom is that in the Bible and in the Lord's language, every name has a meaning. There is no such thing as a proper noun that is just a name. There is always a meaning of significance as well. And the name Egypt in Hebrew, it happens to be Mitzrayim, which means narrow confines, straits, restrictions. It's, it's something oppressive that closes in on you, uh, particularly shutting you off from whatever might otherwise lie ahead in your destiny. Um, it is that which clamps down on you and prevents you from living your dream and dreaming your life and uh, becoming everything that you want to become. Egypt is that. And um, and it is many things. Of course, it is slavery. It is also, um, uh, let, me, let me put it this way. I know what Egypt I'm in. I don't know what Egypt you're in, but I do know you're in some Egypt. Everybody is. That's why the book of Exodus exists. Um, your your Egypt might be financial, it might be addiction to uh, alcohol or drugs, it might be a pornography addiction, it might be uh, difficulties with marriage, it could be health, but whatever it is, everybody has something that is closing down on them and is preventing them from breaking free and stretching their wings and flying upwards. That is Egypt. And the entire description of the Exodus is not just a historic account of what happened. No, on the contrary, it is actually an instruction manual, step by step, for everybody who wants to try and get out of their Egypt. And uh, I only have a few minutes here, so uh, naturally in this particular uh, opportunity, it's going to be uh, very condensed in order to just get us into the the time that's available. Uh, Step number one of the three steps is that um, there has to be a purpose uh, for the transition. Um, Freedom by itself doesn't do it. And uh, this is why we find in Egypt, God never said to Moses, say to Pharaoh, let my people go. Never said that. Every time it's let my people go so that they may worship me in the desert. There is always a purpose for the deliverance. It's not enough to want to get away from the existing situation. You've got to be focused on getting to some great vision of the future. You know, the great judge Learned Hand uh, gave a speech to about 100,000 new Americans in Central Park in 1944. And um, 
It was called his famous Spirit of Liberty speech. Let me tell you a few sentences of it. We have gathered here to affirm a faith, a faith in a common purpose, a common conviction, a common devotion. Some of us have chosen America as the land of our adoption. The rest have come from those who did the same. For this reason, we have some right to consider ourselves a picked group, a group of those who had the courage to break from the past and brave the dangers and the loneliness of a strange land. We sought liberty. What do we mean when we say that, first of all, we seek liberty? I often wonder whether we do not rest our hopes too much upon constitutions, upon laws, and upon courts. These are false hopes, believe me, these are false hopes. Liberty lies in the hearts of men and women. When it dies there, no constitution, no law, no court can save it. No constitution, no law, no court can even do much to help it. While it lies there, it needs no constitution, no law, no court to save it. And what is this liberty which must lie in the hearts of men and women? It is not the ruthless, the unbridled will. It is not freedom to do as one likes. No, that is the denial of liberty and leads straight to its overthrow, a society in which men recognize no check upon their freedom soon becomes a society where freedom is the possession of only a savage few, as we have learned to our sorrow. In confidence that you share that belief, I now ask you to raise your hands and repeat with me this pledge. I pledge allegiance to the flag and to the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation indivisible with liberty and justice for all. Notice it doesn't say under God, right? Well, because this was in 1944 that Judge Learned Hand gave his speech, and it wasn't until 10 years later in 1954 under President Eisenhower that the phrase under God was inserted into the Pledge of Allegiance. You see, uh, that changed everything. So step number one is there has to be a vision. There's, there's got to be some reason for a deliverance, some reason to justify your emergence from those traumatic circumstances. So once there's a vision clear, the next step is you've got to educate the children. And so once again, uh, book of Exodus, chapter 12, verse 26, and it shall come to pass when your children shall say to you, what, what is the meaning of all this? And then you shall answer, so on and so forth, etc., etc. Um, but that's not all. Don't forget, this is like, you know, no one's left Egypt yet. Before they can even leave, a system of educating the children has to be set up. Uh, Exodus chapter 13, verse 8. And you shall tell your child on that day, saying, this is because that of which the Lord did, etc., etc. Uh, one more time, chapter 13, verse 14. And it shall be when your child asks you in time to come, saying, what is all this about? Then you have to say to him the following, etc., etc. In other words, there is a this, this desperate urge to make sure that the children from day one understand what this is all about. This is not simply an escape from difficult times. This isn't simply a transition to freedom so you can now do whatever you like. No, this is a transition to a uh, circumstance of responsibility and self-accountability. And all of that is laid out before anything even happens. And then uh, finally, perhaps the most important thing of all, 
And once we've clarified that there is a, a vision, an ultimate purpose to the deliverance, and we've then made sure that we've made all the necessary steps uh, to guarantee that the children will be educated, uh, we then come to perhaps the most important, which again is reflected in Exodus chapter 12, verse 3. And again, this is before the final plague of the death of the firstborn in Egypt, after which uh, the Hebrews leave the land of Egypt. But before that is even taking place, they first first of all have to start rebuilding the father-led home. This is astounding because whenever society heads downhill, whenever there's a cultural collapse, one of the things that falls apart is the family. And this is why it is that the emphasis is so strenuously on rebuilding the father held, the father-led family. Uh, Exodus chapter 12, verse 3, everybody has to gather together for a special meal of a sacrificial lamb. And uh, and everyone must be gathered together in father-led families. Um, it's the, the Hebrew text could hardly be clearer on that point. It is restoring the idea of the fact that a culture can only survive when a coherent family unit is the main element of society. And that's what is being emphasized right here. Tragically, uh, whether we're talking about the United States of America in the early 21st century, if we're talking about Great Britain or we're talking about other parts of the world, uh, Soviet Union days, uh, always when there is a cultural collapse, which almost always results in one form of tyranny or another, for freedom to be restored, the father-led family has to be rebuilt. It always, it is, it is nearly always the first victim um, of the cultural collapse, and so you find uh, the evolution of what is called this new family structure, the the mother-led family, the matriarchal family. You find it all over the world. You found it in every time. It's an almost inevitable signal of a cultural collapse. The father-led family evaporates. And rebuilding that is absolutely seminal. Uh, in the United States of America today, for instance, uh, the most reliable correlation with poverty is not uh, race, it's not uh, class, it's not gender. The most reliable correlation of poverty in the United States of America uh, is absence of father-led families. That's all it is. It's it's so reliable. The truth is that uh, if authority figures were genuinely concerned about ameliorating poverty, uh, if governments really wanted to restore affluence and to eliminate the scourge of children being raised in in um, in, in horribly poverty-stricken circumstances they would do everything they could to restore the viability and the vitality of the father-led family. Uh, sadly, we're not seeing policies that are intended to bring that about. But if we were, uh, that would be the restoration of a culture that would include stability, prosperity, and tranquility for the children being raised in each generation.
Um, so that uh, is the, the the summary of of the idea that I, I expressed. And uh, I, I want to thank you very much indeed, Stephen Mansfield, for giving me the opportunity of sharing this and uh, and and telling folks about it. It's it's pretty important, uh, I think, for the transition of anybody from stressful and undesirable circumstances uh, to emerge from those uh, traumas and to uh, reach the bright. Brightly lit uplands, as uh, Churchill might have said. Uh, one has to have a vision. One has to make sure that the children share in that vision by means of education. And one has to restore father-led families. Easier said than done, but it really does work. I'm Rabbi Daniel Lappin. Thank you very much indeed. God bless. This is a tremendous insight for those of us who care about the restoration of manhood in our time. The ancient Israelites came out of slavery, but in order for them to take the promised land, in order for them to do what they were meant to do, in order for them to be restored as a people, they had to have a restoration of manhood and fatherhood, a restoration all the more needed because it had been destroyed in slavery for 400 years. This is where we are now, and not just in the African-American community, as I said in my introduction, but also in all of our cultures. So whoever you are, whatever your ethnicity, whatever your religion, uh, hear the words of Rabbi Daniel Lappin. We need the restoration of the Father, a, a restoration of righteous manhood. I hope you will get Rabbi Lappin's material. Look him up on Amazon.com. Get his, listen to his podcast. Get his material. I tell you what, this is a man you want to hear. He's not called America's rabbi for nothing. And I say that (laughs) as a traditional conservative Christian. This is a good man, and you want to hear him. All right, important wisdom for us all. Let's go and be great men. To join the great man community or to book Stephen to speak at your men's event, Go to greatman.tv. You'll learn about Stephen Mansfield's two essential books for men, Mansfield's Book of Manly Men and Building Your Band of Brothers, as well as some other great resources for becoming a great man. The Great Man Podcast is a Mansfield Group production. 